Psalm 138, and let's give attention to the scripture in these eight verses. I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods. Notice this is little g. This is the pagan idols of the time of David, and of course many of those are present in our world today. Uh, the national religion, of course, of the United States is humanism, and we don't have statues. Uh, the gods of humanism are ideas, and they are infiltrating into churches because of that, and we need to be like David here. Before the gods, he said, will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredst me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. We've already prayed this morning for the blessing of God to be on this chapel hour, so let me launch right into this and speak of these early verses as what I call an entrance into revival. Revival is a wonderful thing, and you all know the meaning. Re means again, and vive comes from the Latin verb vivo, meaning life or to live, and so it's life again. And the idea of revival is not that we get saved over and over, not that we have multiple salvation experiences, but that we have lulls in our life where, where we become lax, where we become perhaps tired, we, where we become careless, where we become uh, uh, indifferent to certain things, and, and the Lord needs to do a work in our lives. And, and I have observed, as I've traveled just a short time now around the country, that there is a certain kind of people who enter into revival. And if you'll notice in these opening verses, David mentions holiness and humility. Holiness and humility. Unholy, proud people never experience revival. David here is talking about the kind of person who can enter into revival. How does a person who maybe through carelessness, maybe through uh, physical exhaustion, maybe through ignorance, ends up kind of in a lull, kind of in a low spot in the Christian life. Maybe prayers aren't being answered like you would like to see them. Perhaps you, you read the Bible in the morning and it's not uh, there's something missing. You're not getting the, the, the sweetness of it. You're, you're not getting the honey out of the rock, as it were. You're not seeing what you want in, in your, your overall Christian life. How, how do you get, well, I, I, I believe this with all my heart. There has to be holiness and there has to be humility. I don't think we live every moment of every day at the top. 
When you read the stories of people in the Bible like Jeremiah, I, I, want, to, I want to think that someday we will uh, sit down with the prophets of old. Amen? I don't know the program of heaven. I don't know how it's all going to be. I know it's all about Jesus when we get there. And there's not a whole lot said in the Bible about reunions. The Bible says we will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but I don't know how much is going to go on. But when I think of Jeremiah, when I think of Job, when I think of Hannah and Esther, when I think of some of these people who had some hard days, I'm careful not to say bad days, because I don't think God creates anything bad. And I've had some rough days, I've had some hard days, and, and we'll speak more about that and, and when we get to verse 7, but there is a way that we enter into revival, and it is through the, through the avenue of holiness combined with humility. I will read you a verse that perhaps you know uh, from Isaiah 57. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Let those words sink in for a moment. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is in the high and holy place. And those of us who are pursuing holiness, those of us who are yearning and longing to have a holy life, those of us who are, who are zealous about holiness as well as zealous about humility can enter into those moments and those blessed experiences and, and joys of revival. Notice what David talks about here. It's, it's elementary. It's not complicated. He's talking here about praise. Verse 1 mentions praise. Verse 2 mentions praise and, and I, I'll say worship and praise because I don't want to say praise and worship. Okay, it mentions worship and praise. Okay, and, and notice he mentions again uh, praises in verse 4. And then he talks of singing in verse 5. And great is the glory of the Lord. And I believe there is something, I, I, don't, I don't say magical, I say there is something spiritual about singing. About offering praise. Whoso offereth praise, David wrote in another psalm, glorifieth me. And there is a place in your life, regardless of the circumstances of your day, regardless of the circumstances of your family, regardless of the circumstances of your, uh, of your finances, regardless of whatever is occurring, all the outside stuff, there is a place for a song. Don't let days go by without praise. Don't let days go by when you are not mouthing to somebody something that brings praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something that honors God the Father. Praise. David here mentions that subject over and over. Notice not just praise, but prayer. And he talks here about prayer regarding the inner man. Look at verse 3. In the day when I cried. Okay, so David here is talking about not some simple little, you know, thank you, Lord, for the food, and, and so on, and thank God for prayers over our food. I wonder how many times God has delivered me in my travels from food poisoning. 
because I've eaten in a lot of places. Now, I'm not referring to here, but I'm just saying, I've been in a lot of restaurants and, you know, you, you just wonder. But God's delivered us. So uh, in the day when I cry, David is talking here about a prayer that is, it comes right up from the very depths of his soul. And we know that because he said, in the day when I cried, thou answered, you answered me and strengthened me. Now notice the latter part of this verse. With strength, where? In my soul. May I say something about the prayers that are found in this book that we call the Bible? Most of them are about spiritual matters. May I say something about the prayers recorded in the epistles beginning in the book of Romans and running to the end of our New Testament. Most of them are about spiritual matters. May I say something about the commandments that we find to the churches and to the pastors in the church and pastoral epistles. Most of the commandments deal with the spiritual life. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, that one. Seven words in that prayer are devoted to the physical life. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything else in that model of prayer has to do with our spiritual needs. And David is saying here, if you and I want to enter into revival, if you and I want to live a revived life, then there needs to be a focus on the spiritual life. Look at your prayer lists. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the prayer list looks like for tonight here. But I've been in so many churches where I walk in and there's a prayer list for 42 sick people. And I look it over and I look it over and oh, way down on the bottom of the second page are three unsaved people that they're praying for. Now something's upside down there. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for sick people. But if we had the attitude of Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, our prayer lists would be different. What concerned Epaphroditus was that the church would be distracted from its needs and its duties by praying for him when he was sick. It's important that we understand that the focus of this journey is a spiritual journey, and revival is spiritual. It has to do with your soul. It has to do with the love of God being shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost who's given. It has to do with the joy of the Lord that, that, that Paul wrote about when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. But he balanced that out by saying, I say the truth in Christ and lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So here's a man who had joy in his heart but continual heaviness and sorrow in his heart. But you see, that's a spiritual balance. And the peace of God that passes understanding and the love of God that is beyond our scope and the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God and this life must be prioritized with the spiritual at the top. Where Paul wrote, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless and faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. There is praise and prayer. And this entrance into revival has to do with our holiness and it has to do with our humility. Though the Lord be high, verse 6, yet 
hath he respect unto the lowly. He is not looking down for people that are cocky. He is not looking down for people who are, who are arrogant, who are convinced of their own superiority, who, who have the idea that, you know, if all Christians were like me, it would be a better world. Because quite honestly, if the whole world were like me, it would be a very lopsided world. Because we need each other. It's a body. And we have hands and feet and eyes and ears. And a study of 1 Corinthians uh, dealing with that subject will help us understand that even our members that are less honorable upon those, we bestow more abundant honor. And if you want to find that out in the real life, uh, just stub your little toe in the dark as you run to the bathroom at night. Because suddenly you're going to give a great deal of honor to your little toe. And there's nobody here that is so much better than somebody else. And there is nobody here that is so much better than those kids back home that didn't come here. And God is not looking to revive haughtiness. Flesh does not get revived. And there must be a coming to God. There must be a humbling. There must be a meekness. There must be a lowliness of mind, letting each esteem other better than themselves. And when we come to the Lord with a lowly, loving, lamb-like mentality that is taught in Philippians chapter 2. It is that person who takes himself down that God lifts up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and what? And he will lift you up. Be clothed with humility, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 5. It is something that we need, and it is something needed in a Christian college. It is something needed where, where we share living quarters, and, and this one's neat, and that one isn't, and, and this one uh, takes a shower as often as he ought, and maybe this one doesn't, and, and this person uh, works third shift, and, and this one doesn't. And, you know, we have to adjust to each other, and we need some humility. The entrance into revival is holiness and humility. Notice the environment of revival. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble. If you study the life of David that begins on the pages of Scripture in 1 Samuel 16, where, where Samuel anointed him uh, after he came in from the sheep coat, uh, to, to the dinner at, at the household of Jesse. If you study his life all the way into 2 Samuel and you pick it up in Chronicles again and you read, and some of it is uh, very similar, and there are details that are in Samuel that aren't in Chronicles, and details in Chronicles you won't find in Samuel. And then you pick up his, the, the outpouring of his heart on the pages of the Somnol, and you find this man who endured trouble. There's more than one kind of trouble in the world. Some trouble we bring upon ourselves. David, we know the story. 2 Samuel chapter 11. A, a, a sin that he tried to cover with another sin. He paid for that, as it were. He brought trouble upon himself. The death of a child, the, the raping of a, of a daughter, the murder of a son, and then the death of a son in battle. But after that, Someone was asking this question, why speak you not a word of bringing back the king? When David had, as it were, met the fourfold that Nathan the prophet said was going to come on him, you know what? He got back on the throne and he lived a godly life. God gave him revival. 
That revival is clocked out for us in Psalm 38, the, the psalm of his covered sin. And then Psalm 51, the psalm of his confessed sin. And then Psalm 32, the psalm of his cleansed sin. And I'll tell you that even when we bring trouble upon ourselves, if we will get back to God with holiness and humility, we will have revival again and again and again. Some trouble, however, comes to us just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Some trouble comes to us by virtue of, of being alive on this planet. And, and I've heard stories of people who are just minding their own business, doing what they do, and, and uh, uh, they, they, somebody hits them in traffic. And, and I, I, I knew, I've heard stories of people who uh, suddenly succumb to uh, terrible, terrible disease. I, I hear of different things, and I think, this trouble, it just comes because we live in this world. And then there is trouble that comes because we want to shine as lights for the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it persecution. You notice David did not differentiate what kind of trouble. He just said that's the environment. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, he said, look at these four words, thou wilt revive me. That's the environment for trouble. Very seldom are we begging and pleading with God when everything is going our way. There's a Broadway musical, and Robert Goulet sang those songs. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I have a beautiful feeling that everything's going my way. That's not the Christian life. That isn't even the American life anymore. No, it's not reality. We will encounter trouble in this life. We will come in our own living experiences. We will encounter trouble. You get a phone call that absolutely changes your life. I got one of those phone calls 30 years ago this past summer. I got a call from one of my family members that my mother had committed suicide. That's a life changer. That is trouble. Listen, I want to say something to you young people. Trouble is not your enemy. The sooner any person can learn to embrace the difficulties of life, the better off he is. It's not news if I say we live in an entitled generation. That isn't news. It is not news if I say that Western Christianity is very comfortable. Laodicean, as it were in certain areas. And it is not news to say that if we are going to be entitled and comfortable, it's going to be much harder when trouble comes. And trouble does come. And it's the environment for revival. I can tell you that 
following that awful experience 30 years ago in my life, God took me to a new place in faith. He took me to a new place of understanding His kindness and compassion. He took me to a new place of usefulness. I'll give you a brief testimony. I was pastoring a little country church at the time in rural Pennsylvania. We had a lady in the church. Her name was Rosalie. She came to church faithfully Sunday morning, Sunday night. She was elderly, so very often uh, she wasn't out on Wednesdays, but she was very loyal to the church. And I made a visit to her home, and, and I heard the back door close as I walked in the front door. She said, that's my husband. And this went on for a short period of time, and I asked the deacons, why doesn't Mr. Drew come to church? And they said, well, nobody really knows. And so I made it a point to go visit Mr. Drew. And the next time that I got there, uh, I heard the back door close, and I said, Mrs. Drew, I'll talk to you later. I'm going to go out and talk to your husband. And over my shoulder, I heard her say, good luck with that. But I got out to the garage where he was, out in the back shed, and I greeted him, gave him a handshake, and started chatting with him. And then I said, Mr. Drew, the folks at church say you used to come to church all the time. But you don't come anymore. Is it okay if I ask you what happened? And that man just put his head in his hands and began to sob with sobs that came up from, the, from his toenails, if you understand what I mean. His shoulders were heaving. He couldn't talk. Finally, I was able to make out between his sobs two words, my son, he said, my son. And he kept saying, my son. I said, Mr. Drew, what happened? And when he finally regained his composure, probably after five minutes, he just made a motion with his hand. And at that moment, the Spirit of God said, you know what he's going through. And I put my arm around Mr. Drew. And I said, sir, I haven't been at your church for more than six months. And I said, just three months before I came here, my mother did the same thing. He looked at me. He said, oh, then you understand. I said, yes, I do. I prayed with him. The next Sunday, Mr. Drew was in church. And he never missed a Sunday until the Lord called him home. Trouble, agony, pain, sorrow, difficulty. It's the environment in which God, it's like the petri dish in which the culture of revival grows. It is like the watered, fertilized garden in which revival grows. And it is not that we get on our knees and somehow pray some martyr's prayer like, oh God, bring me trouble. Because No, 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 no. You don't have to pray for it. It will come on its own. And when it comes, you know it comes from God. Your heavenly Father, who plans out everything about your life, who is 
who is sovereign. If, may I use the word sovereign? I'm not a Calvinist. There is not a Calvinist cell in my entire body. I used to say there's not a Calvinist cell in my brain, but I'm losing them at such a rapid pace that I don't want to say that anymore. It happens past 60. But I just want you to understand it's the environment of revival. The heavy load, the burden you bear, the inner struggles, whatever they are, God wants to use them in your life. He's not punishing you every time something doesn't go your way. Who did sin, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? Jesus said neither one. We need to understand there is a time when God chastens one of his own, but there are many, many more times as you read this precious book that God is just testing a man. Job. A man that three times God said was perfect and upright and feared God and eschewed evil. The word eschew means to spit out. God three times said that. And yet trouble came. And he said that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And yet this man who, who was accused of being an opportunist... Job serves you because you bless him. And God, who was accused of being a manipulator, you bless him so he will serve you. Both of them were exonerated and the devil was proven wrong because Job didn't serve God just on the sunny days. I think his tombstone could be very well inscribed with these words, he proved the devil wrong. And let's set out to do that, amen? I come quickly to the evidence of revival. We've seen the entrance into it through holiness and humility. We see the environment of it, which is trouble. Notice the evidence of it. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. God is in the perfecting business. God is in the business of, of taking that every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus and developing that. No, in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing, Romans 7. But there is every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus, Philemon, the sixth verse. And when you are saved, God puts good things in there that he wants to develop. Good things into your heart, good things into your soul. God deposits the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, Christ in you, the Father who is in you, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and where? In you all. And God wants to develop the good that he has put into your life. If you are forgiving, God wants you to be more forgiving. If you are kind, he wants you to be kinder. If, you, if you're a loving person, he wants you to love more and more. Read the book of First and Second Thessalonians. It's in there. See that you increase and abound. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And the Lord is in the business of perfecting each one of us. And the evidence of revival is that God helps you overcome something that you cannot overcome on your own. 
Every one of the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation has a part in it, he that overcometh or him that overcometh. And when you listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, you will become an overcomer. You will become that person in whom God has perfected things that concern you. And notice he said, Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. For the times that we fail, thank God for his mercy. And I have failed many times. And thank God for his mercy. We just sang about it. This morning, the mercies of God were a theme for my song. I could never number them more. I could not. I cannot tell you how many times God has had mercy, has forgiven me. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Reminds me of Psalm 90, the words of Moses, the work of thy hand, establish thou it. God is doing a work in the life of every person sitting in this room. He's doing a work in my life. He's doing a work in Pastor Van Gelderen's life. He's doing a work in the lives of your professors and teachers. He's doing a a work in the life of the staff and the students, the freshmen, the sophomores, the juniors. And don't get senioritis on me. Because God wants to do a work in your life too. And the seminarians. He is doing a work. He is perfecting. He's always working to develop. And you know, there are good things in your life that God will say, all right, set that aside now. You don't need that anymore. The manna ceased. Joshua chapter 5. Nothing wrong with the manna. It was a picture of Christ. They didn't need it anymore. They needed something else. And God will take those childish things that you played with when you were young And he will call you to set them aside to take on some adult things. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. I still have a few of the toys that I was given as a child. I do not play with them anymore. Unless the grandchildren are coming over. And when they go home, the toys go back in the box because I'm not playing with them anymore. That isn't what I do. And God wants to take you from whatever step this is in your Christian journey. If you're at step 22, he wants to get you to step 23. And you know how it's going to happen? Holiness and humility and trouble. And that's how it happens. And David writes of this in this beautiful, short, and I'm going to say somewhat overlooked psalm in which he tells us that he has magnified his word above his name. The magnification of his word above his name gives his name credibility because the word has credibility. Let's be a generation of young people who are faithful until the trumpet sounds or faithful until death, Revelation 2.11, excuse me, whichever it may be for any one of us. We don't choose the quality of our life. We don't choose the time. We don't choose the, the manner of our home going, if that is the route we take. We are here to live for him. 
the entrance into revival, holiness, and humility. The environment of it is trouble. The evidence of it is God changing your life to be conformed to his image. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, say it with me, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the perfecting. That's what God wants to do in every life in this room. Let's stand with our heads bowed. I'm going to have our pianist come and just select a song that is appropriate to the theme of revival. I'm going to open this up for as many as wish to come and kneel here at the front and talk to the Lord on the subject of holiness and humility or perhaps the trouble that you're encountering right now or perhaps to ask God to perfect a certain part of your life that you know is lacking. So as the music begins, let's respond to him. <laughs>